The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Yes, we are back with yet another edition of the insight, the frivolity, the bedlam, the mayhem that all revolves around the world of boxing. I am your somewhat capable host. I do have special guests joining me coming up from the UK. David Payne will be here. Love his insight. The boxing writer from over in the UK, boxingwriter.co.uk is his website. David has great insight into the fight game, but in particular, the British fighters, the English fighters. And oh, yes, we have Joshua Ruiz, the heavyweight title rematch. Now, allegedly, presumably, possibly on the docket for December. David will have thoughts on that. Plus, what is Anthony Joshua doing besmirching and trying to tarnish the image of legendary former undisputed British heavyweight world champion Lennox Lewis. What's going on there? What's what's behind all of that? So we'll talk with him uh, about that in a little bit. Also, Marquise Johns, as he customarily is, is on this podcast, the lead writer, BigFightWeekend.com, the purveyor of that site, does a great job maintaining it. Again, we encourage you to find our sister site, BigFightWeekend.com, and read up on all the boxing news, infos, fight previews, recaps, history. Marquise will be here. In particular, uh, the, the biggest fight of this weekend, at least in North America, is going to be this uh, upcoming title fight involving Emmanuel Navarrete, the junior featherweight championship fight, main event, top ranked show, ESPN coming Saturday night from California. Navarrete will take on Davaca in that uh, 12 round main event. Marquise will have some about that. He'll have some thoughts on Canelo Alvarez being stripped of his IBF version of the middleweight title. Now, Triple G will slide in and fight for the vacant belt against Sergey Derevyuchenko. When will Canelo fight next? We have some update on that. It looks like it may be November. We'll talk to him about that. Some of the other proposed matches. Will we ever see the B urine sample of Dillian White, the English heavyweight who tested positive for PEDs on the A sample? Will they ever test the B sample in our lifetime? We're going to joke around about that, I think, and maybe get a comment or two from David Payne and Marquise Johns about that. Again, White is supposed to be a heavyweight contender that could maybe fight Deontay Wilder, could end up fighting the Joshua Ruiz winner. Isn't he going to be suspended, though, for a, for a PED violation prior to his fight back a few weeks ago against Oscar Rivas? White won the decision, but lost on the PP test, on the urine test. Now we await the B sample as if somebody believes that's going to exonerate him. And, and apparently that B sample has not been tested. So David Payne will have some thoughts. Marquise will have some thoughts on all of these different subjects. Uh, also, Gervonta Davis, electrifying young American undefeated world champion. He's got a huge offer on the table, but is he going to take the money for a unified title fight with Tevin Farmer? We'll ask Marquise about that. So plenty on the plate outside of the ring. Some action in the ring. This top-ranked card coming this weekend. Much bigger fights coming next weekend. And then for the month of September, we're here to talk all about it. It's all part of the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Let's get rolling here as we get things underway. So much going on, and a lot of it involving the sweet science in the UK and UK fighters. So who better than the boxing writer to help me sort it out as part of the Big Fight Weekend podcast? David Payne back with me once again. Happy August. I don't believe we have talked since the calendar has flipped. Summer months are still going on. Things heating up in and out of the ring. First off, how are you? 
Uh, in good spirits, thank you, TJ. The paddling pool has been packed away. I think summer is officially over here in the UK. We had our two weeks of sun, so uh, <laughs> back, to the, back to the usual inclement weather, uh, but always good to talk to you. Thanks for the invitation. Yes, in most parts of the United States, especially in the southern United States, we will enjoy this, enjoy in air quotes, for at least another six or eight weeks. We're, we're glad that you have uh, put summer to bed uh, where you are. Uh, okay, uh, I, I don't know where to begin. Let's begin because we have not had a chance to talk with you. Joshua Ruiz, too, we think, we suspect, could be, it might be, December 7th in Saudi Arabia for the rematch. Eddie Hearn, Matchroom Boxing, and Joshua's camp are saying that. Uh, Ruiz has not said that. David, what do you make, first of all, of the selection of the Middle East, the first time the Middle East will host a heavyweight title fight? Or maybe you don't believe this is going to come off at all. What are your thoughts? Uh, it's it, it's confusing. It's hard, it's hard to know um, what an instinctive response to this is. Obviously, uh, the selection of Saudi Arabia is motivated by many things, um, money, money and money. <laughs> um, so there's there's no getting away from that. That has to be the, the key motivator here for, for our, however much Eddie Hearn has tried to add some caveats to that. It's about money. They've obviously put more money on the table than anyone else can uh, put forward. Even the 90,000 of a Wembley or 80,000 of a Cardiff or the Las Vegas casinos, etc. This is obviously the easiest and quickest um, cash bid they've had. And it's been muted for a long time, a big fight in Saudi Arabia, as we know. Uh, a, few, a few fights have got there, but nothing of this size and proportion. We we must all, as human beings, be somewhat uncomfortable about the, the venue for lots of political reasons, which I'm not going to be lighthearted about. They're very serious issues, and that's probably part of the reason this investment has come forward, because they want to uh, portray Saudi Arabia in a different light either uh, positively because they're looking, seeking to make change and change the image of the country or it's to help cover up the fact that um, these terrible things are occurring in their country. So it's a distraction. So it's, it's unsavoury in some regards, um, but we are where we are and the matchroom team are trying to be, or are pretty convincing that they uh, have belief this is happening. It is December the 7th. Ruiz is contractually obliged to fight wherever they choose to host the event uh, for whatever his commentary may have been. Um, there's a few throwaway remarks in, uh, in what Hearn has said that might hint that there may be a little bit of leverage being played to get a bigger fee, but ultimately the fight will land in Saudi Arabia on December the 7th. Well, and so I ask... Uh you know, kind of a, a loaded two or three part question here um, in that the site is part of it. Uh, I, You know, Ruiz over the last couple of days has put on social media. He did an interview actually in Mexico on ESPN Deportes where he was saying, I'm not going to Saudi Arabia. So as part of this, as, as the last part of what you said, do you believe he's holding out to get as much money as possible or legitimately, could this fight be in jeopardy and therefore the titles start to splinter apart and Ruiz ends up fighting somebody else and Joshua ends up fighting somebody else? Yeah, I mean, these things are always got multiple strands, haven't they? Um, ultimately, one would presume that the most money that Andy Ruiz can make in his next fight is fighting Anthony Joshua. I think he's got a guarantee of $9 million. I don't know if that's sterling or dollars, but... 
about double what he earned for the first fight, which is life-changing money for Andy Ruiz, uh, for any of us, but Andy Ruiz, who'd been fighting on undercards for most of his 10-year career, it's tremendous uh, fees, but he's obviously maybe looking at this as a one-off opportunity to earn the maximum amount. Uh, that said, he's connected to a very powerful man in Al Heyman and PBC, um, who may be reluctant to let all those belts disappear out of the window, potentially in a defeat to Anthony Joshua in the middle of nowhere where for $9 million when they've got the other <laughs> the other belt holder within the camp in Deontay Wilder. And one wonders what money could be available for him to fight Deontay Wilder in the new year and, and, and everything get turned on its head. And all those belts be kept in-house with one fighter who then becomes the preeminent fight, fighter, the preeminent champion, of all the bodies, um, it would seem like a one-off opportunity for that to happen too. So uh, suddenly, the nine million doesn't necessarily look like the uh, life-changing figure compared to what could be on offer to do a different fight. I've got a theory that would it surprise me if he fought Adam Kownacki at the end of the year and then fought Wilder in the spring, and then we have a Fury fight later in the year between Wilder and Fury. That's a sequence that wouldn't surprise me entirely. And as I've commented to you privately once or twice, uh, TJ, I'm still not 100% convinced that we see Joshua fight again this year. And you were hinting to me before, you weren't sure if his heart was in it to fight anymore, period. Do you, have you come down Completely a little bit? Completely in tune with fighting again. There's, there, there seems to be little hints and, and tells in some of the words that are used around him that I'm not convinced he's fully switched on to fighting again just yet. Yeah, and so that I mean that's a very interesting point about uh, whether he would fight uh, by the end of the year or fight at all, and so it's another part of uh, it's another part of this equation uh, here. And look, it's not it's not without precedent. I know we go in the way back a little bit, but this was Buster Douglas defeating Mike Tyson. There was a rematch clause, and it included Don King uh, lording over Douglas's career. Uh, including, I believe, if I have this correct off the top of my head, for multiple fights after Douglas had pulled the upset that King had multiple fights as the option. Douglas went to federal court in the United States and got the contract broken and then uh, very famously was not in shape, got knocked out by Evander Holyfield, and the rest is is history for, for about a four- or five-year period where Don King could not get the belts back together uh, as things went on. Because the court system got involved. I'm not suggesting that that will happen. I'm just giving it food for thought that that Ruiz could choose to not fight, could choose to go to court, could choose to try to fight somebody else. Then again, I I tend to agree with you. We always like to say, follow the money, David. He is going to make the most money by fighting Anthony Joshua. He's not going to make the most money by fighting Pulev, the Russian, or someone else in the interim besides maybe Deontay Wilder. He's not fighting Deontay Wilder anytime soon. So... Let's see how um, how that part plays out. Another thing that I'm curious about while we have you on Thursday, the I guess best the best word I'll use the incendiary comments of the former champ Joshua insulting a fellow countryman and a former undisputed world champ uh, himself in Lennox Lewis. We knew kind of behind the scenes that there had been some bad feelings where where Joshua. Is uh, is hurt. He's humiliated by the fact that he lost. Lewis has been critical in the past. Well, Joshua went all the way in and called Lennox Lewis on Sky Sports TV uh, a clown. He said he's a clown, and he says, "Don't compare me to him." Basically, in a in a wide ranging interview, 
What do you make of that? That interview at the time that we're talking has aired Thursday night in the UK. What do you make of all of this? And are we making too much of it, observing it? I think more uh, what it tells us is um, about Joshua's present state of mind, if anything. It perhaps gives a little insight there in this uh, respect of he has perhaps lost his cool a little bit. He's, he, uh, I'm reading it as he's trying to get his own blood up. He's trying to, he's trying to find that motivation, that spark again. Um, again, it's just an instinct. But uh, coupled with uh, another comment that Eddie Hearn said today, um, in amongst all the great PR that he did and the great salesmanship, there was a comment about um, Anthony Joshua needs to try to focus on the rematch with Andy Ruiz. And I just think it was that word try that was uh, very illuminating. And it's just things like the seemingly out of character remarks to Lennox Lewis on a very public forum. I just, I just feel the revealing about um, his state of mind. And I just, I don't know whether he, he is very motivated or lacking motivation. I'm not quite sure, but it certainly is a variation on the, the kind of statesman-like um, figure that he's tried to be for the last two or three years. So I think he's more insight into that than anything about Lennox. I think uh, I've spent a lifetime watching Lennox. We know all we need to know about Lennox and his, his legacy is secure. And uh, Anthony Joshua obviously is frustrated by the fact that his is not matching up at the present time. Well, and the important factors here are Uh, Lennox Lewis, uh, and I wrote about this on the BigFightWeekend.com website, successfully defended the heavyweight championship, a version of it, or the unified or undisputed version, 15 consecutive times, including with the draw or with Evander Holyfield. So as you said, that legacy is there uh, for good. Lewis is on the other side of the aisle, if you will, as a commentator for PBC's fights in the United States. And so, therefore, they have an agenda, PBC, with Deontay Wilder and with Joshua not having fought him. So I think some of this, in some ways, the fans that are listening to us can relate, is like professional wrestling in the United States or elsewhere, (laughs) where some of this is a little contrived and and the two sides doing promos so that we have the big match build up and the whole thing. Now, these guys aren't going to fight. But some of it is a little professional wrestling-esque. Get everybody talking, get everybody buzzing, and maybe we end up with a Joshua Wilder fight down the road. So I, I perceived some of that. Do you think, okay, just to you, because you follow Joshua's career, is some of this just immaturity? Uh, is that part of it even still in his mid-20s here, mid to, mid to late 20s? Is that part of it? I just think, it, uh, as I, I say, uh, perhaps another way of phrasing it is um, – Perhaps it just reveals a frustration. Things are not going how they expected to go. Um, for a long time, Joshua's camp, there's been too much talk about um, the 10-year plan, the five-year plan, the business of Anthony Joshua. The whole vernacular around his career has changed from the fights to the empire building, the amount of money, the conquering new territories, the TV deals. And perhaps the, uh, the, the gaze has slipped from the actual fighting and the improving as a fighter. And I think... Now that that balloon has been pierced, he's found himself on the other side of conversations and having to uh, accommodate things that he didn't think he'd need to accommodate. And I think that's a source of frustration. That's There's a new reality. There's a new landscape in his life. Uh, and he, he's either frustrated with that or it's speaking or reflecting back to him that he's he's lost the edge. He's lost that motivation that he had before and therefore he's he's either searching for it or he's uh, he's expressing his frustrations and his anger and it's it's i don't think it's immaturity i just think 
uh, things are not going how he expected them to go, and he and he's still adjusting to that. And I still need a little convincing that um, he can ever get that back. Yeah. Which sounds really cruel because I'm 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 a great advocate of not writing a fighter off after a loss. Uh, but there's something different about the Joshua story. He, he he rose so quickly and to such a powerful position in global boxing, such a, a pioneer in, in some of the things done in recent history in terms of crowds and gates and stadiums, etc. Um, but I think it's given him wealth and comfort and status that he's, I'm not sure he's going to be able to, he's not going to be able to go, go back a, a two or three steps and start again. He'll, he's always going to be at that level. And I think it's been very difficult for him to, to, to arrive as a fighter, as the challenger, etc. I think as a state of mind, I think he's going to, he's going to wrestle with that. Um, so, so, so we'll see, we'll see, um, we'll see what happens. But I, as you say, it all stirs the pot a little bit more. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> a big believer in the uh, Lennox is just shouting the PBC side. I think he's wealthy enough to have the integrity not to need to do those types of things. But um, it's it all adds to the to the cocktail, doesn't it? Yes, it does. A few more minutes with David Payne here, the boxing writer. You find him online at boxingwriter.co.uk on his site. Find him on social media at the boxing writer. Love his uh, insight. One more quick one uh, was the reaction, the initial reaction on Thursday in the UK. That how would you gauge it? Would you say that most people were anti Joshua on the comments, or was it maybe fifty fifty with a lot of people going, "Hey, uh, you know, Lennox Lewis should maybe should maybe back down a little bit." Well, I think I think the, the mostly the, the Twitter is inhabited by often a very strange uh, demographic uh, in instances like this. Um, but I think the truth of it is, for most of the the boxing followers that have a little more, bit more grey at the temples or the receding hairline, it was just a general feeling that it's a good job Lennox is not 15 years younger because uh, <laughs> the, this could have all been sorted very quickly and, and would sure. have been very quick uh, had the two been able to meet because they're, they're fathoms apart in terms of, uh, of t- in terms of their fighting ability, it would say on the evidence we've seen so far, certainly. So there was a bit of that, I guess. Um, but I think more there's been more a bit more outrage, if you will, um, about the Saudi Arabia thing than the the spat between gotcha. the two of them. Um, that seems to be a more important issue for people. Although people's politics and rage seems to be selective, we don't worry too much about some of the other uh, terrible things that happen in countries that boxing travels to. Um, so it seems to be a selective thing, and um, people can can pick and choose. Uh, what they get upset about it would seem um, but it can't be ignored but there's, there's been a fair bit of noise and discussed about that but obviously that's something Joshua has not had to face yet uh, he's not had those questions posed to him because Eddie Hearn's been the, the face of this announcement in the absence of the two fighters yep. and and the, uh, the questioner the interviewer uh, was on the right track, which is Lewis was knocked out twice, once by Oliver McCall, questionable stoppage, yes, and then later by Hasim Rahman and overcame both of those, and that was kind of the point of the question that started the whole thing. So it's interesting about legacy because mm. what happens, this is what you're saying too, what happens after you lose? We saw it with Ali. We saw it with Tyson. You know, for any of these fighters, unless you're you're a Marciano, a Mayweather that finished at the end of the finish line undefeated, trying to find out what happens after you lose and Joshua was now taking a loss. So, uh, we, I mean, we'll see if and when uh, he gets back 
in the ring with Andy Ruiz if it's next or, or how that works. Is there anything else that we need to cover with the boxing writer? I've kept you late. Anything else? Well, I just think that just to kind of close off or, or, or take that thread on from your from your last point about what happens after the loss, I think what's interesting uh, when it's happened to other fighters, it depends on their status at the time and their motivation at the time. Um, Joshua's earned a lot of money. I mean, he's, he's already entering the kind of territory of Lennox Lewis and Evander Holyfield in terms of the amount of money that he's earned from his career, and he's, he's not turned 30 yet. So uh, it, it puts presumably puts a different status on his motivation to get back you know his um his desire is i think it was marvin Hagler famously said it's a lot harder to get up and go for the morning run when you're sleeping in silk pajamas or silk sheets so i'm paraphrasing <laughs> but most of us will be able to remember that and, and i think that has to come into the play you know he's become a businessman he's become a brand and all those things and to go back to the basics of needing to 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 correct some of the fundamental boxing problems that he had is a is a very new challenge and for people like uh, Mike Tyson he never really did it did he? he he could never really come back he came back and won some fights but he was never the same he was never the same entity that he was before um, so Joshua has all those problems and with the amount of money he's got um, I for one question whether he can ever truly get that 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 fire back without going into rock, Rocky. Uh, <laughs> rocky quotes but yeah i think you know where i'm going yeah like the eye of the tiger or one of those but yeah. yeah you're right i mean we've talked numerous times in our conversations that the money uh it being so ridiculous now without having to fight other great fighters and earn it if you will it, this is a byproduct of it so so now he has the wealth he has the comfort and so you wonder Again, we're being amateur psychologists. If if that's enough for him right now, how hungry is he? If you want legacy in the sport and fight fans, true fight fans to remember you, then you will want to avenge the defeat to Ruiz, but you'll want to go beat Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, and anybody else that's in this era too. And we will find out in time over the next mm. few months or the next couple of years, what does Anthony Joshua really want and how comfortable he is he? I think you're kind of saying the same thing. We're going to find that out, yeah. all of us. Yeah, we're going to find that out. And hopefully uh, it is, he has to fight Andrew. He has to, he has to vanquish this demon first and foremost because if someone else beats Andy Ruiz in the meantime, his opportunity to right this wrong will never be quite the same, will it, if someone else has beaten him first. So it has to be Ruiz first before he can step forward. But it's a brave move to do it if he really believes or wants to do it and it comes to fruition. It's a brave thing to do because there were fundamental problems he would have with Ruiz any time in his career because of the styles and the, and the flaws in Joshua's um, um, in fighting pedigree or uh, technique, whatever you want to call it. Um, I just hope we get those answers and we get those answers in the ring next, not in another couple of years or whatever. And let's hope by then we've had the B sample back in <laughs> Dillian White. Hey, <laughs> I did. I have touched on this a couple of different times in a couple of different ways, social media and otherwise. Whatever happened to that B sample? And uh, the, he, he tested positive on the A sample. We're waiting for the B sample. We may have Santa Claus here. Maybe Santa Claus will deliver the B sample on I Dillian White might, to, to exonerate yeah, him. 
it might be the it might be the man on the grassy knoll with the flashing badge that um, finally <laughs> we might we might have a you know Kevin Costner film in thirty years that explains what happened to the B sample. I don't know, but we'll get there eventually. I'm sure. What's my line? That... What's my line? Follow the money. Follow the money yeah. on why the B sample hasn't been tested yet, because there can still be an argument of we don't know if he tested positive as long as we don't have confirmation. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if that B sample ever uh, surfaces or or uh, or not. <laughs> Hey, listen, thanks. All kidding aside, I always love the insight. I know it's late in the UK. Again, promote one more time because you're a great follow uh, for the site, for for social media. Promote away again, sir. Uh, You'll find me at uh, boxingwriter.co.uk. I'm not appearing elsewhere. And um, yeah, yeah, follow me on Twitter, as TJ mentions, at The Boxing Writer. Always a pleasure. Thanks for chatting again, TJ. Great stuff. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. My man is back busy as ever. Always good to catch up with the lead writer, the purveyor, the guy that keeps it rolling with everything going on on BigFightWeekend.com. He is Marquise Johns. Good to be back with you. And so much of this podcast we've already been talking about proposed fights who may be fighting where uh and so uh, you don't what uh welcome and let's continue it why not with uh with who may be fighting where (laughs) (laughs) absolutely tj thanks for having me on and a lot of boxing politics taking stage and center face this week how have you been yeah uh i I think i'm good so uh, we will get to the navarate devaca main event junior featherweight title on the line that is the most Significant fight of note this weekend, at least in North America, um, for Navarrete's Junior Featherweight Championship ESPN top-ranked main event. I promise we'll get to the fights in the ring. But the bigger news is what's outside of the ring. So I just had David Payne on on the podcast. The boxing writer loved his insight. Haven't had a chance on the podcast to say to you, Joshua Ruiz to Saudi Arabia, hello. So what do you think? At the rate this is going, TJ, this is a bizarre power play, but not one we haven't seen before with Andy Ruiz saying that he doesn't want to travel overseas to Saudi Arabia. He doesn't want to travel to Great Britain for this fight. He wants this fight either in Mexico or the United States. And he's going to he's willing to stay sit out this to see what's going on with it, which is kind of funny. Do you really believe, as David Payne was asserting, he can't get a nine or ten million dollar guarantee from anybody else? That's part of David's point. The fight is not in the UK, which was one of the things he was against. Do you really believe that Joshua would just forego the huge payday, the neutral place rematch, and scramble to fight somebody else, do a do a legal challenge, a lawsuit, and scramble to fight somebody else? What do you believe? I doubt that heavily, TJ. I, I just think this is just a uh, Ruiz posturing, obviously, to see if he can get out of Hearn and matchroom boxing a more piece of the pie. Because if, if that number is correct, the dip in reporting of the $100 million on the table, and he's only getting ten less than 10% of it, I would play the same shenanigans as Ruiz is doing also. At the end of the day, this fight's happening in Saudi Arabia because it's in the contract. They'll, they'll at some point find a way to give him a better piece of the pie. Because at, at, as Payne probably has mentioned as well, with the heavyweights, as Luis has all the belts, the only other options he has after this Joshua rematch, he won't be able to face Wilder in time, obviously. The other option would be the greatness in the IBF of Kubat Pulev, who I'm sure we're all clamoring for that heavyweight fight in replace of this one. 
and and Alexander Usyk's the ever mandatory for the WBO, but as you know, with WBO uh, belts and PBC, they don't exist. It's a right. make believe to them. So when that fight's never happening. It'll be a better matchup. Well, and so happen. the IBF is doing the same thing here, although they're doing it differently. They're saying to Ruiz, as long as you fight Joshua, we're good. But if you're somehow trying not to fight Joshua, you have to fight Pulev or we're going to strip you. The same thing they did to Canelo Alvarez back a couple of weeks ago. So that I mean that just leads me to believe it's the smartest fight it's the it's the biggest move. What do you, what do you make of it? First ever title fight in the Middle East. They've had some fight cards in the Middle East. This one in Saudi Arabia, you know, David was talking about from a social human rights standpoint that uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of negativity and should be a lot of egregious uh, conduct by the Saudi government towards its own people. But that that's trying to be managed or PR spun by having a great event, a big event, a world heavyweight title fight. What do you make of that being the the actual location? And and will we care in North America, in the United States as much because this is on in the middle of the afternoon in Saudi Arabia? Honestly, TJ, I don't think we will because, as you mentioned before, it's going to be on the in the United States here, especially on the East Coast. It's going to be on a Saturday afternoon during, as you know, here during SEC college football time and around 3.34. And, and as much as people want to claim political uh, outrage because of this, the, the social economics and climates overseas in the Middle East and what they do over there, at the end of the day, we're, we just want to see the fights, TJ. I don't care where it's at. And I'm, I'm going to quote uh, Kubas, Pula's people when they put the IBF's uh, hold in in regards to putting their spot in in, ca- in case this, fight, this match falls through. I don't care if it's in Mexico City or Timbuktu. We just want to fight. And that's, at the end of the day, what we all want to watch. And, uh, again, Joshua will take a real risk here uh, because if he if he is beaten again by decision or, of, or worse or otherwise, I don't know where he goes from here. So we got plenty of time to dissect that part, but it appears that the fight will happen uh, until somebody, Ruiz, whomever, uh, nukes it. And, again, David is holding out. Uh, you know, I, I lean on his insight some. He's not sure that Joshua wants to really do this and that Hearn's comments may be in some ways telegraphing a little bit that he's not sure about Anthony Joshua and that they're having to goad him into this a little bit. So we'll see. I think at the end of the day they will fight. Uh, I would agree with you. Um, all right, so uh, more projected fights in the ring. We now know, since last we've talked on the podcast, IBF strips middleweight champion Canelo Alvarez. They've ordered the now vacant title fight, Triple G, and the number one contender, Russian Sergei Derevyuchenko. That one will now be in October. What do you make of that? Because Triple G's really got a legitimate shot to get a portion of the title back and have more leverage to fight Canelo down the road, right? He does, and it's interesting that Triple G is facing a Derevchenko in this fight because Derevchenko is being trained in this corner by the well-known Andre Rozier. Andre Rozier against uh, Triple G, as you know, TJ, is 0-2 in fights against him, so I expect it to be <laughs> 0-3 after this one, which gives Triple G the, 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 the IBF belt that he had back from Canelo that, that, the, that Canelo wanted to fight Triple G with a belt in his hand. This will be that belt that he gets back from him in the, in, to hopefully we get this third match. Uh, Triple G's in a walker at age 48. That's, that's the game plan of all of this. Well, yeah, and so ultimately you're hoping that early next year that'll be the case. The report was Thursday afternoon, for what it's worth. We may be getting closer to an actual Canelo fight. Hey, a Canelo fight! All I'm right, that's what's up. We may have a Canelo fight before the end of the year, and it looks like the first Saturday in November in Las Vegas has been reserved 
as the locale and the date, no opponent yet. So theoretically, okay, let's say Canelo is fighting November 5th. Realistically, the earliest he would fight Golovkin would probably be something like March, but more than likely it might be that Cinco de Mayo May again, that first weekend in May. Uh, if yeah. they wait that long, you know, we got we got to wait and see. But and we got to wait and see who the opponent is. A educated guess because it's not announced yet, and it may not be for several weeks. Who is the opponent going to be on November fifth? What do we know about Canelo? If we have a date and we have an arena and we have a city, who who might the opponent be? The all signs for Canelo in this upcoming fight, November, TJ. It looks like uh, Demetrius Bube Andrade. That looks like the at this point the obvious choice. In a bizarre event that it's not him. I'll be scratching everybody's head like everybody else in the boxing community. But in the event Jaime Munguia on Mexican Independence Day weekend gets ahead of uh, who everyone on the internet has been joking about, Patrick Otali, who looks a lot like NBA's Jimmy Butler in, <laughs> in short fashion. That that He's also been naming the running but as can well. can he shoot the three? I don't know. Uh, hopefully he gets that's the third round of his fight, and we'll see what happens afterwards. Well, the look, the bottom line here is this has been a sordid affair since, since again, we've written about it on BigFightWeekend.com, but you and I have not talked about it. Canelo essentially had a sit-down with the Golden Boy Promotions people and uh, with their matchmaker, with Oscar De La Hoya himself, and basically s- screamed at him about getting the, dub- the IBF belt stripped uh, away because of what they agreed to and then not being able to make the deal. So... Apparently, they've smoothed things over and moved forward, although I'm not sure, again, about the long-term situation there or the long-term situation with the 10-fight deal with DAZN. We're only two fights in on DAZN's 10-fight deal with Golden Boy and Alvarez, and they haven't had the third fight yet, even though they supposedly have the date. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with uh, Canelo. Okay, question to you. How much yeah. in the short term is this tarnishing Canelo Alvarez? The, all these antics in this soap opera. What do you think, Marquise Johns? It, it does on Alvarez's end without being there. It, it shows him looking kind of petty in the grand scheme of things. Because, TJ, I think the one thing with Alvarez that makes him mad at the whole situation that he got the IBF belt stripped is him knowing that he got that belt stripped from him means that if it was put up for grabs again. And the the, 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 the goal, I'm, if, I, if I was Canelo, was to keep the belt away from the hands of Golovkin to avoid having this third fight, which honestly, some people say he wants this fight. I'm convinced, TJ, he just doesn't want it at this point. Obviously, Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy Promotions wants it because it's printing money on the table, and you don't just leave money on the table. But with Alvarez, I just think he wants to move on from other opponents. He's, he's not the only one with that sentiment as well. But I do wonder, with Alvarez pretty much coming off realistically kind of petty in this, because at one point, he didn't want to fight on Mexican Independence Holiday now. He didn't want to fight. Now he wants to fight. He couldn't find an opponent. The whole boxing community wanted a shot at him. <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't pick a name out of that hat, apparently, because he wanted to move up and wait to fight Kovalev. They got lowballed. He wanted to fight Munguia. He he that fell through. Then they're on the same promotion. It it makes you wonder what's really going on behind the scenes at Golden Boy in terms of that. But I do see in the grand scheme of things is well, he's going to fight whenever he wants to fight. He's going to it, it, it's Canelo's world. We're all just waiting to see when he wants to play in it. All right, let me run one hypothetical by you. If Jaime Munguia, who is the main event on Mexican Independence Day weekend, the date that Canelo had multiple chances to try to find an opponent for, September 14th, Munguia is the main event on DAZN, defending his 154-pound title. Let's say he wins quickly, like in a round or two. Any chance 
that he is the guy the first week in November for Canelo, or do you think it's just simply too soon? I think it's too soon, but if he beats if the guy in short order, TJ, who wouldn't want to fight Canelo? There have been people in, in smaller classes wanting to fight Canelo to go up. There have been people in higher classes wanting to go down. So if, if, if the name Canelo Alvarez is, is, is your choice of, of ideal fights, it's, it's essentially because it's a, it's, a, it's a draw and it puts your name on the table in, in terms of boxing. I, I don't see why he wouldn't, Munguia wouldn't turn, turn that down whatsoever on, on short notice. All right. Uh, a, couple of, a couple more quick ones, and then we're going to get to the fight uh, that is the top-ranked main event with Marquise Johns hanging out here from BigFightWeekend.com as part of the podcast. A reminder again, subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, via Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you have the podcasts. Uh, and go and get them. Find us there. Our friends at Red Circle Podcasting, thank you to them for helping us out and helping us promote. Uh, find the website. Find us. Okay, so Gervonta Davis, uh, outstanding young prospect, the youngest. He's still the youngest American world champion right now that is in boxing. Uh, Davis at 130 pounds, owning the WBA belt. And there's an offer or a series of purse bid offers going on the table here for him to fight the IBF champion at 130, Tevin Farmer, a fellow American. Mm-hmm. Farmer is good, doesn't have a lot of power. He's got 30 wins. He's only got six knockouts. But he has the IBF belt. So, all right, the the, the word is that that fight is up for grabs. Apparently, Mayweather Promotions, which is PBC... He's made an offer for it, but Matchroom Boxing and DAZN made a much bigger reported $5 million guarantee to Gervonta Davis to not fight for PBC, to not fight on Showtime or Fox, but instead hop over to the DAZN streaming service and fight Tevin Farmer. What do you make of this? What is the realistic chance that we're going to see this fight anytime soon? TJ, honestly, I'm on the camp that I think this fight is going to be one of those fights that we'll never see in the this, this, either not in the near future, but it's going to be a long time. And the theory with it is, and I'm going to mention Leonard LRB because promoter of Mayweather Promotions, when he was at Key Firm's Media Day, he was down here for it, uh, answering a few questions, sort of, kind of. And the one thing he stressed and harped to my head and beating everybody else that was listening is that Devontae Davis is the next big boxing star. And he mentions that as well as also on social media, if you ever talk to the man, the one question he will tell to you is that he wants no part of being on what he refers to as dead zone, uh, the streaming service of the zone, <laughs> which is pretty, I will admit that, that that's pretty funny. That's, that's going to catch on, TJ. And the one thing with Davis, because he, he will mention to you in a heartbeat that Davis in his last fight against Ricardo Nunez, I mean, it was a mandatory, it, it, was, it was quick work for him, but that fight had a capacity crowd of 15,000 roughly. What, the way LRB sees it, and it may sound familiar to you, TJ, because it sounds like an old promo, uh, an old boxing politics promotional tactic that they did back in the day with, you may have heard these guys, uh, Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. Right. In terms of making the fight, in terms of making the fight sit around it. I, I, I'm going to use the TJ, the bizarre food cliche of the gas station hot dog. <laughs> this fight of Javante Davis and Tevin Farmer is that gas station hot dog sitting on the grill, spinning around in its own juices, waiting for it to be done. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's the the only difference is hopefully we'll get this fight when it's actually done and juicy still and but, not but dehydrated. Wait, I, I got to come back at you. All right, I much preferred <laughs> the pickle in the in the jar, the big huge uh, oversized pickles in the jar <laughs> oh, than no. the greasy hot dog uh, oh, no. in the gas station. But neither, I mean, these guys aren't Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. I'm sorry, Gervonta Davis is too young in his career without too many big title fights. I understand the premise that you're giving us is he's yeah. freezing Farmer out, and you're not going to see that fight. And and look, Matchroom. 
room offering Javante Davis $5 million. Reportedly, the Mayweather offer was only a $2 million guarantee. I mean, if I'm Javante Davis, I'm looking at my people and saying, where is my $5 million guarantee to fight somebody over here while I'm, while I'm stepping through the ropes? Uh, and, and Floyd Mayweather has said he is a pay-per-view commodity, Javante Davis, at some point. I don't know that his next fight is on pay-per-view, but clearly no. that's where they would like him, like him to head. But he's got to have more belts. He's got to have more big-time wins under his belt for more people to care, right? That's the point with fighting Farmer in the first place. Get another belt, have more people start to care about you. I do, actually, TJ. With the way Davis is set up, and I think if I'm guessing LRB's strategy with this, they're going to keep pacemaking this and, and slowing his, his fight speed down to make it sure that he keeps building up these wins to, to make the fight that much attractive in regards to make a unification bout. It's going to take us forever. The only saving grace that we have, TJ, with Davis and Farmer not happening this year or in the near future, because if you talk to Devin Farmer's side of the, of the fence, he, he is all but reserved and was like, whatever with this fight. This, hap- this fight will happen when it happens. If not, who cares? And he mentioned on Max Kellerman a while back that he that what I'm referring to Farmer is that boxing pol- promotions and politics are always trying to get a side up in the promotion. At some point, hopefully down the line, if if, they're, if the reported offer was they offered Farmer two million, I mean I wouldn't, I, I don't know how much boxing Farmer wants, but it, it seems kind of low for a belt fight. I, 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 I mean, they're not but again, big. it's worth noting he's not a spectacular fighter. He's got thirty wins, he's got six knockouts. the The fight on DAZN was the co-main event the same night that Davis fought, and it was a twelve round snooze fest. He beat the guy yes. convincingly, but if you're not a spectacular fighter that people are clamoring to see. You know, a million or two million dollars might be the best you can do in that regard. So let, let's see. Uh, could Gervonta Davis end up fighting another PBC fighter who's down at 122 um, or actually at 126? The featherweight champ Leo Santa Cruz is a PBC fighter. Um, Heyman boxing. Might he move up and fight Gervonta Davis? That fight might happen somewhere down the road. Who might the opponent be for Davis? We'll see. It just I can hear you saying it, uh, that it, don't expect it to be Farmer anytime soon, especially if Davis is not willing to take a $5 million offer from Matchroom and DAZN on that one. We do know the main event, top rank in California, Saturday night ESPN, Emmanuel Navarrete is back in action again just a couple of months after uh, his, his latest win where he defeated... Um, Isaac Dog Bay Bay in the rematch. So he's beaten Dog Bay in back-to-back fights, took his title, beat him in the rematch in his first defense. Well, he's back fighting again on like 60 days notice here against Devaca. Does Devaca have any real shot, or this is showcasing Navarrete for a bigger fight down the road here, and and he's expected to win easily? What do you think, Marquise? I think with Navarrete, in terms of his length and size, is going to be an issue for Devaca. Devaca is an undefeated fighter out coming fighting out of the Phoenix area, so it's it's a local fighter pretty much coming over to uh, the, the state line to, to fight at the newly uh, the home of the LAFC uh, MLS Football Club for for a showcase fight. Personally, I'm looking forward to this fight just to see how Navarrete. Uh, in regards to, it's a, it, this is a quick turnaround for him. So I'm expecting I'm expecting not much resistance. Uh, Devaka only uh, has 20 wins, only six knockouts. I'm not so there's not much power behind it as well. He's been around. Is this more of a showcase fight for Navarrete? I'm looking forward to seeing after this fight. I'm assuming more likely Navarrete's going to retain here. That this sets up hopefully a unification bout with uh, Daniel Roman, who has the ever belts because Navarrete has, has said on several occasions this week and previous weeks that he wants to sweep the division, then move up afterwards. So we'll see what happens from here. 
And again, Navarrete, 27 wins, 23 KOs. Um, so he has one loss in the career, but has been on a roll really for about uh, the, the one loss came in his sixth pro fight back in 2012. So really in the last seven years now, he's won 21 fights in a row. You haven't heard of a lot of the names, most of them in Mexico, the two wins over Dog Bay. He is a he's a big time puncher, though. Let, let's see what happens in this one. And again, it's on ESPN here for the main event coming uh, on Saturday evening. And that's the most noteworthy of the fight, uh, noteworthy fight of the weekend, right? That's the one we'll pay the most attention to coming up Saturday that's, night. That's what I have my eyes on uh, on this top rank card personally. It, it's it's a very, very dry weekend for boxing, which is very bizarre. But August, it is it is. August has been a little dry, but it is going to crank up uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks with some of the fights that are coming. And of course, uh, we're looking forward to, to seeing what's going to happen with some of these here in, uh, in upcoming weeks. Um, I know that next weekend, uh, for example, let's see, we've got uh, Kovalev and Yard for the WBO light heavyweight title in Russia. And then uh, it won't be long after that also includes uh, the Estrada Beeman Junior Bantamweight title is on DAZN next weekend. The FS1 yes. card has Brandon Figueroa uh, with the uh, Junior Featherweight title fight that's going on. So the, August will kind of end out, and then and then we'll get into September and have some much more interesting fights, including Tyson Fury finally back in the ring. Oh, and, no. Uh, yeah, Devin Haney <laughs> uh, also on that same weekend is back in the ring. So... Uh, and Jaime Munguia all that same weekend. Munguia on DAZN fighting Patrick Alatoy uh, there in that fight. So all of that will be coming in September. In the meantime, they can read all about these fights as they are made. Uh, we, we may or may not in our lifetime see a Canelo opponent named, at least for this year, uh, for November 5th. <laughs> we, we, may or, we may or may not learn more about uh, a couple of other fights that, that could be happening, and, and we still think Joshua and Ruiz will, will happen. But Marquise, we want to plug away. They need to write it all. They need to read it all on BigFightWeekend.com, right? They sure do, TJ. BigFightWeekend.com is where you can find my writings, uh, reviews, articles, anything, news updates, anything in the world of boxing, past, present, and future, you can find at BigFightWeekend.com. You can always find me on Twitter, at Radio. TJ, I'm putting my lineal Twitter handle championship title on the line. It is pound for pound the best handle out there. I take on all upcomers. Follow me at Weeksauce Radio. We'll talk boxing with you on there all the time. And yeah. this man, you should follow this man because he's keeping up again with everything on Friday during the day, Friday night, Saturday during the day. You're keeping up. You're watching boxing. You've got it on a screen somewhere. You'll be tweeting about it, giving fight fans the update because they can't, they can't possibly keep up with it as quickly and as effectively as you do. So you're a great resource and a great outlet on that. So again, Weeksauce Radio. Give Marquise a follow because he'll. <laughs> He'll be tweeting about all these uh, different cards. Undercard of the Navarrete Devaca main event on ESPN and Top Rank. Uh, he'll be tweeting about that and watching that. So yes. I'm giving you I'm giving you the plug. And uh, look, I love writing from time to time and filling in the blanks on the different stuff that's on the website. We also do historical pieces uh, as well on some of the great fights all time. Uh, you know, this whole Linux Lewis uh, dust up with. Anthony Joshua that I was talking about with David Payne that's more caused by Joshua calling him names on Thursday, uh, saying he's a clown. I I went back in the time machine and watched the Oliver McCall-Lennox-Lewis fight again from 1994, which was Lewis's first loss as the WBC heavyweight champ. And McCall hit him with the one big straight right hand. And then the referee, in one of the more dubious stoppages 
uh, in the 1990s, let's say, suddenly just waved the fight off. I mean, yes, Lewis was wobbly, but he's the defending heavyweight champion fighting in England. And the WBC's selection for referee waved the fight off and stopped it after the one-punch knockdown. Uh, Lewis later avenged that loss, later got knocked out again by Haseem Rahman and avenged that loss. But it's fun to go back, and we go back on BigFightWeekend.com is my point for the historical perspective on boxing. We write about it. We talk about it on this podcast because we love the history of the sport, Marquise. Absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned that Oliver called uh, Lewis stoppage. One of you, TJ, in my lifetime, that's probably one of the worst stoppages in the history of boxing. Because Lewis looked like he was able to recover. And all of a sudden, you just see the wave, you see the wave, flail off, the wave off, and it's like, what? Like, yeah. it was one of the more and abrupt Lewis, ends I've And seen. Lewis definitely reacted, but when you watch it, and, and and having seen it, and again, it's a 25-year-old fight now from 1994, yes. he clearly is wobbly from one big punch, and that was a foreshadowing of what happened to Lewis again about seven years later to Haseem Rahman, who caught him with the big booming right hand, one punch, and they counted him out that night in South Africa. So uh, the, the interesting point that was trying to be made by the reporter from Sky Sports is that Lewis overcame those losses and went on to a great career in and around those losses. He successfully defended the heavyweight title, a part of it or all of it, 15 times after that first McCall loss once he got it back. So we'll see if Anthony Joshua, if that's part of his legacy, can he get the title back and go on to have a phenomenal career? I'm skeptical of that, but it's not as if it hasn't been done by him. Ali got off the canvas, losing a decision to Joe uh, Frazier and won a bunch of humongous fights after that. Yes. Uh, you know, you can make the argument Mike Tyson won title fights after the loss to Buster Douglas. The measure of the champion, the, the character of the champion, the heart of the champion is sometimes tested by what happens after you lose. Right, Marquise? So we'll see. It, it, it does, TJ. And I'm looking forward to seeing if Joshua in this rematch, if he's as motivated as he wasn't in this last go around, because you can clearly see looking back on it. If you look at the documentaries and the 30 to 30s and the trains and stuff like he just wasn't up for that fight in some point or another. I don't know what part of that fight he checked out against Louise, but he clearly checked out. I, I really believe and this is easy to do. 2020 hindsight. Yeah. You, you had a, a complete perfect storm of circumstance that he's coming to the United States. All right, so that's adversity, first of all, because he had only primarily fought in England, if not just in Europe. So now you're leaving and you're coming essentially to a road game. You're, yes. you're, you're looking at it as, this is not my comfort zone. The next thing is, the opponent you thought you were fighting and you were training for is gone, and now it's somebody else, and you basically had seven weeks' notice. Now he, in my mind, and I think you agree and most agree, he should have been able to handle Andy Ruiz. And then, and then you factor in that he had a sparring partner ring his bell, and that's dom- documented that a, he had a sparring partner shake him up, if not knock him down. Uh, and and some, sometimes that's good because it rattles the fighter, but maybe it was bad in this case. With the other factors involved, maybe it shook the confidence of Ruiz. And then he gets in there in the moment, and he realizes this guy's not a joke, and this guy's got a big punch, and it's kind of like... An oh-crap realization. All of it hits you at once. I'm in a fight. I don't know that much about my opponent. He can hit me hard, and he did not respond to the adversity. I think all of that was just kind of in the same soup pot, if you will, being mixed together. I don't know that all of those factors come into play this time around. If there is, if it is going to happen, and it looks like it will, to me, your quick thought before you go, I I mean, it's going to be a complete neutral site, 
He's probably not going to fight a sparring partner that can really hurt him or lay a glove on him. They'll learn from that. And he realizes now that I better train like a maniac and I better be ready to go psychologically, emotionally, and otherwise because this is my career. This is my big fight career that is riding on if this guy beats me again, it may be a year or two years before I have another significant fight. Absolutely. And I don't think TJ, he wants to be that far down the heavyweight food chain after a second loss, which I'm granted we put wins and losses on his big pedestal and big and a bigger scale than what they are. But at, in this grand stage that and this rematch, it is that big of a deal. I think personally, TJ, as you well know, with that first fight, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to contend this and I'll be, I'll, I want to be proven otherwise when this fight happens. I think Joshua keeps this thing on the outside and we are going to be bored and he's going to outbox Luis for 12 rounds. I think it's be one of those fights. Because that's what happened in the first one until he got caught in that third round. And then in the seventh, that's been, and then all, everything changed. I really think Josh was just going to honestly bore us to tears yeah, that's, fight in a rematch. You know, I know we're rehashing, we're rehashing a fight from June the 1st, but when you st- keep dissecting and analyzing, the most, the, the most striking thing to me is the third round, he knocks Ruiz down. And then Ruiz yes. gets up and knocks him down twice. Epic! Epic round, all-time heavyweight round, where where the undefeated champion has knocked the opponent down, the opponent's gotten up and knocked him down twice. Crazy round. Ruiz couldn't finish him, and Joshua completely recovered and was back in control of the fight. So we thought, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, using the jab, the combinations... You know, doing well, doing well, air quotes, and then boom, he gets hit again, and it's that's the most striking thing to me. It's not like he got shook up, Lennox Lewis. Let's talk about that. He got shook yes. up by one oh. punch. The ref stopped the fight. Okay, that's now you're questioning. In this case, you're going, why? How? How did you get control of the fight back for three rounds and still get stopped and still get beat in the seventh round? That's got people questioning even more. Hey, look, don't look now, but I'm selling the rematch. I'm selling the intrigue of can Anthony Joshua learn from it and be much more ready for it? And will he come and try to flatten Ruiz right off the bat in the first round uh, to get the stink off of him? Uh, we'll see. Um, we'll see if this if this thing ever comes to fruition. And we'll certainly be writing about it and talking about it. BigFightWeekend.com and the Big Fight Weekend Podcast. Marquise, I always love getting to chat with you. Keep up the great work writing the site this weekend, including that top-ranked main event with Navarrete defending his uh, 122-pound belt. There in the uh, in the bout with Devaka. Thank you for the time here on the podcast, as always. Thanks, TJ, as always. Looking forward to the main event of Top Rank this week, and that should be fun, and then the fight's down the line. All right, there we go. There's Marquise Johns. My thanks also to David Payne, the boxing writer, for being with me. Again, subscribe to this podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, find us, subscribe, rate the podcast so it'll go up in the rankings. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. We love talking boxing on Big Fight Weekend on the podcast. And go find us on BigFightWeekend.com. I'm TJ Reeves. Thanks for being with us. Enjoy the fights. Keep them up. Keep the punches coming here as part of Big Fight Weekend.